Welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McKnight. And our show, we're talking about boarding houses and the new tax rules. Now, let me ask, Andrew, when is a boarding house not a boarding house? When it's a boarding establishment. Oh, <laughs> that, uh, that could be a new pub joke around, around <laughs> for, for property investors because only the ones who are really nerdy will get that. But it's true. Under the new definitions as part of the tax law, there is a difference between what constitutes a boarding house under the Residential Tenancies Act and under the new tax laws. So they've brought out this new definition called boarding establishment. Now, look, why does this matter? It matters because boarding establishments, what we used to call boarding houses, do not come under the new interest deductibility laws. You still play under the old rules. It's as if you've bought a new build. It's as if you're renting out to social housing. Now, what's the issue? Well, the issue, of course, is that previously there was one definition under the RTA and another under tax law. So what have they done about it? They've come out with this new definition of a boarding establishment and these will still be able to claim these interest costs. Now, remember, this is what we wanted. We wanted some clarity about what would be considered a boarding house, a boarding establishment when we initially submitted our documents to the Treasury. So just compare them for us, Andrew. Boarding house versus boarding establishment, what is the difference? Okay, so a boarding house under the RTA has six or more bedrooms rented out separately. So it could just be a normal house where you've got different rooms that go off that house and you rent those all out individually, such as the student accommodation that we've previously spoken about on the show. A boarding establishment under the new law is meant to capture properties that could not be an owner-occupied home. Like, it's just not practical for it to be an owner-occupied home. And the test is... 10 or more bedrooms that are not self-contained. So that's the key part to it as well. So 10 plus they're not self-contained. You can have multiple dwellings on the same site with up to 10 rooms. So for example, you could have two houses on the same piece of land with five rooms each, but it does have to be the same piece of land. So there can't be three houses next to each other, all totaling 12 rooms, because that doesn't count. It's got to be one individual title. Now, let's talk about what's considered self-contained, because these rooms, 10 of them have to be not self-contained. So under the big 215-page document, what's considered self-contained? Each unit that's not self-contained cannot have a kitchen or a bathroom, and something can still be self-contained if it shares the laundries. So what I mean by that is that let's say that you've got a couple of apartments, for instance, in a big building, and that there is a coin-operated laundry in the basement. Well, those apartments are still considered self-contained, even though they share the same laundry area. So let me give you another example. So Liz Harris, who we've spoken about on this show before, one of the largest property investors in New Zealand, she has a lot of these kind of room-by-room rentals, and then they have that common laundry area where you do your laundry by a coin-operated machine. Yeah, well, her, all of hers would be considered boarding establishments because she's got like 200 separate rooms from my understanding of yes, what she but does. The, but the rooms have their own kitchen and bathroom. Do they have their own kitchens? Yes. Full kitchens? Uh, well, I think so. Self-contained. Yeah, it needs to have a full kitchen and a full bathroom. What's a full kitchen? Well, that's where it's open to interpretation, but that's right. what it says with, within Actually, the 215-page document. So kitchen, kitchenettes don't necessarily require consents, so you can have a fridge, a bench, and you know some plug sockets, but as soon as you put in like a stove, that's a kitchen. Yeah, and so if you had a room-by-room rental like we talked about on the show not long ago with Ilsa, where you had en-suites for all of the rooms, well, 
those wouldn't be considered fully self-contained and so it could still count. Now, what's interesting is I've been considering, well, what if you've got a house that's got, say, seven to eight bedrooms? So let's say that you've set up a room-by-room rental because you're an active investor, you've put together a large room-by-room rental. How could you get to the magic 10 number? And this is where I think the cabin industry is going to boom because the answer can be cabins. So I'm going to quote you from the document. It says other boarding or cabin style rooms on the same site would form part of the boarding establishment and qualify for the exemption. Now that can be the case whether or not those are fully self-contained. So let's say you add a couple of cabins that are not self-contained at all onto your land that can help make up the 10 rooms. The other thing though that's interesting is let's say that you had a 10 room dwelling, you know, it's one big dwelling and you've got the 10 rooms in it. You can add fully self-contained cabins onto the same piece of land. All of them are fully tax deductible, even if they're existing because the land is considered a boarding (sighs) establishment. So let's say that you had six studios that were all fully self-contained and then you had another building on the piece of land that Mm. was considered a boarding establishment, 10 rooms that were not self-contained. All of it is considered exempt. All of it is considered the boarding establishment and therefore you don't fall under the new tax rules. That's interesting. Really interesting. Oh, it's going to be some unusual living situations, isn't there? I can already hear Matt Gilligan rubbing his hands yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. yeah t- property tax accountant, yeah, yeah. really good one, by yeah, the way. Yeah. You know, thinking there is going to be some some advice that I can give. There's yeah. going to be some deals to be done. For people who have the sort of land available to do this, perhaps already have properties on there with a couple of units or whatever. Mm. I think there is gonna is gonna be some opportunities there. Now let's go through some examples of you know what might be considered a boarding establishment and what wouldn't be, just to really solidify this in your minds. So I've got Carl and Emily here. They own a boarding lodge in New Plymouth. And within that lodge, they've got 12 rooms that are not self-contained. They've got no additional private facility. It's just the rooms. Share bathrooms, share kitchens. They've got a further six rooms with individual en-suites. On top of that, they've got six prefab cabins with basic bathroom and kitchen facilities. Now, people who move in, they all sign the same contract, no matter which one they go into. Electricity and gas, that's all included in the weekly rent. Now, all of that is considered the boarding establishment. So they don't have to apportion and say, well, even though they've got six rooms which are fully self-contained, that interest isn't tax deductible, but this part is. No, it's all tax deductible because they've got 12 rooms that are not self-contained. They've got six rooms that happen to have en-suites, but those wouldn't be considered self-contained either because they don't have kitchen facilities. So it's just the majority. No, it's not the majority. You could have 20 fully self-contained on the same piece of land, but if you've got the 10... It's the oh, 10. So, so long That's as you've the got test. the test. Okay, okay. It, wow. Nothing in there says anything about majority. Okay. 10 is the test. Okay. Another case study. Ivy owns City View Lodge in Auckland, which consists of a large house and some self-contained studio units at the back of the section. So the makeup is six boarding rooms that are not self-contained with no additional private facilities and four self-contained units with basic bathroom and kitchen facilities. So total of 10. The occupants sign the same contract, regardless of room type, and all occupants have access to shared facilities in the main house, including the communal lounge, kitchen, bathrooms, and laundry. Electricity and gas is to be included in the weekly rent. Now, in this case, City View Lodge does not 
qualify as a boarding establishment because although it's got a total of 10 rooms for accommodation all individually rented out only six satisfy the requirement that they're not self-contained and so in this case not a boarding establishment their interest is not going to be deductible they're going to come under the same rules as most other properties so they've really tried here to define it in a way that if that property could be used as an owner occupier yep then they're going to take away those tax deductions. So if this person, if City View Lodge, went and put four cabins on there, so then has a total of 10, 10. not self-contained units, then it automatically qualifies for everything. Yeah. Right, so they're going to find some room. They're going to, going to put some the cabins on there. Yeah. Well, do you know what the other interesting thing is? The thing about cabins, though, is that I'm pretty sure it's 30 metres squared is the cutoff yes. for where you don't need building consent. Yeah. But I wonder how many cabins you can put on there. Well, how small do they have to be and do they have to actually rent? Well, I mean, how big? Oh, that's an interesting like, like question. The, you, you know, you put these tiny little shoeboxes on there that no one ever wants to rent, but, you know, do they have to be rented for it to be considered a boarding house? Uh, tax Avoidance 101 with Andrew <laughs> Nicholl. <laughs> no, I just mean, like, in terms of people thinking practically how they're going to do this because well are you, are you thinking you're going to add some one meter squared no, cabins on there I'm not thinking that I'm just thinking there's going to two be two meter squared I'm actually thinking 1.1 1. 1. I'm actually just thinking there's going to be some really horrible living conditions and will they actually rent but they'll fall under the tax deductible potentially but they're not actually providing something that anyone wants to use depends how far you want to go with it really is the mm. question stack them all up on top of each other <laughs> put some ladders <laughs> up to the fourth story <laughs> Well, no, because surely you'd need consent then in that case. Not financial advice. (laughs) (laughs) That's your favourite disclaimer. So I think that there probably will be some people, because I know I've seen deals in Christchurch, you know, that might have seven bedrooms, eight bedrooms. I think there will be some landlords reconfiguring their houses, potentially making some of the bedrooms smaller, adding some extra ones in, in order to come under this, because they will save a significant amount of cash if they've got any sort of significant mortgage held against these properties. Or the other thing might happen is let's say you've got a boarding house like that, that's say seven bedrooms, you might see those investors carving them up. So taking a seven bedroom, turning it into two separate dwellings, adding the firewall in between, getting it all signed off from council so that they come under the new build definition for the next 20 years. That would be the other major opportunity if you didn't quite come under the boarding establishment test. Mm. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, come along to our webinar. It's coming up. It's the first Tuesday of May. And we're talking about how to get investor ready. So if the bank hasn't approved your mortgage application for your first or your next investment property, what can you do to get in the position to get investor ready? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're actually going to have, for the first time, Andrew, a live studio audience, which I'm really excited for. So if you want to come along to that, what do you do? Tap or swipe over the cover art. I'll drop a link where you can register or just do it at opuspartners.co.nz. And if you want to be part of the live studio audience, register for the webinar, tick the wee box that says, yep, want to be part of your studio audience. And then a week beforehand, we'll do a draw, get the 20 people. I've got to mention there'll be drinks too. Yeah, of course there will be. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most. Thanks for the property,